Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. So, up until I went to Pride... um, I'd gone to treatment for the first time back in 2012 at a place called uh, Regions Hospital ADAP program. And then what brought me to Pride was I had a relapse. Um, prior to walking into Pride, I had been just, uh, I think COVID hadn't quite officially hit, but I think there was talk of it and I was doing a lot of isolating. So long story short, using a lot of drugs and reached out to some friends and just said, you know, I need help. So a good friend of mine connected me with Pride. Of course, I knew about it, but I had a good friend that works. Um, she's a social worker. And so she kind of knew the process to do the Rule 25. And one thing led to the other and um, worked with the admissions staff at Pride and was able to get in. And that's how I landed there. Can you explain for um, some of our listeners what a Rule 25 is? Sure. Well, in Minnesota, um, I'm not... A professional, but mm-hmm. my understanding as a person who used it is I connected with, at the time it was Just Us Health, it's now Rainbow Health, yep. and they had an, uh, I think the person was a Rule 25 person, specialist. Assessor. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's it, assessor. And uh, so I went in, sat with her, she asked me a bunch of questions. Um, as a matter of fact, just to be clear, I ended up in the ER ward, and at the ER, because I was just in a bad place with, I was an IV user. So at the hospital, now that I think about it, I did my assessment with a rule 25 assessor over the phone. Mm. Sorry about mm-hmm. that. I had to, it's been, been a while. So I <laughs> think about it, but so, and then anyhow, so to answer your question, it was um, a series of questions over the phone about my use, how often, how bad it was, what drugs I was using. Um, and essentially just uh, took maybe an hour. I, mm-hmm. I could be off on that a little bit. And then that is what allowed me to get, I believe the funding is tied to the Rule 25. I don't know if that's correct or not, but um, anyhow, the results of the Rule 25 was what then paid for, or at least in my case, I wasn't working, so I didn't have a lot of money, and it allowed me to get into Pride with, the, with funding, mm-hmm. I believe. And I could be wrong on that. Maybe you guys will have to help me. On that. No, I, I'm, pretty sure, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. And then that's and then because I didn't have the, the the insurance or the money to get into a treatment center. And at that time, now things are better. But then mm-hmm. it was really it saved my life. So yeah, no. Um, the, Minnesota such a good resource. Yes. For, yes. Um, substance, use. People, yeah. substance use. Yeah. Substance use. Yeah. All that jazz. I know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's really incredible because it's just a pocket of money set aside by the state for people specifically with substance use disorder and addiction problems in many states. I mean, even just like North Dakota, South Dakota, other places don't have that. And so it's incredible that we have that resource here. Mm -hmm. It's something I reference off and on to when I meet people now in recovery who were maybe in a similar place that I was. And it's most people... I was going to say, I'd say most people aren't really, the general population I don't think is really aware of it as, as much as maybe people that are in the recovery community are. But it, it is something that I will many times see as like, like if I 
meet somebody in a meeting, an NA meeting or, or someplace else, you know, I'm like, are you aware of rule 25? You really should go mm-hmm. do it. Um, and they're like, I don't have the money. And I'm like, no, it's, that's the whole point. We're here. It's a, it's a, it's a lifesaver. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you talked about how you were an IV user. Yep. And so obviously you don't just start using IV right away. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about the projection of what got you there? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, your comment, you don't really just start there. I, I think I did almost. I wow. mean, I, <laughs> and I, I shouldn't laugh. It's, it's not a funny thing, but yeah. I remember when I, my, uh, I, I, like many of us in addiction with addiction, um, mental health was a battle for me as well. And I honestly can say, I don't remember back in 2008 is when I first picked up drugs. And then that was four years of just chaos until 2012 when I went to treatment uh, the first time. But um, so I think it was the my uh, sort of conclusion about IV drug use for me. To answer your question, it was sort of um, the symptoms were so bad. And what I need, the relief that I felt I needed was so strong um, that for whatever reason, that instant vein sort of rush was really an instant relief. And I, it was uh, heroin. And so it just took me to a place of complete relief. Um, and of course, anybody in recovery or any drug, anybody who struggles with addiction know how temporary that relief is and then all the consequences that go with it. But um, I would say that's probably why for me, IV drug use was so appealing and such a an instant, strong, immediate, you know, overwhelming relief from what I was feeling um, and probably thoughts too. So it was a, you know, I guess relief and it was a medication <laughs> of, you know, of like out of this world, literally. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> No, that's a perfect yeah. description because... Mm-hmm. They literally used heroin in like World War II era for soldiers with PTSD. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so yep. how you described it was exactly that. Yeah. And when we do look at substance use disorder and addiction, sometimes, you know, it's everybody's story is so complicated and we're all packaged so different. Yeah. But it really does become like someone's trauma plus drug use equals relief. Yeah, that's, that's I would be, and many others I know, and not alone, it, that's a, a perfect equation mm-hmm. or description of what drugs does did for me. Um, and I'd be lying if there are some days I miss it because it was so feeling wise, it was so amazing, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I've come along, come so far in my recovery that um, I, I'm able to look at that equation um, and, and what's behind the need for drugs in such a different way now. And, I'm so I'm so happy about yeah. that. So yeah, it's amazing. Hearing you talk, it just reminds me of the impulsivity of you know drug use and how you just jump into it. You know, you don't really even think about the consequences. Like you said, it took you years in recovery to notice the consequences behind that equation. It just how yep. it can happen to anyone. It, it, that's well said. It, that the word impulsivity too. Um, I I think back and I can think of other things in my life that I jumped into to get some sort of escape, I guess, or um, 
uh, just uh, maybe even escape, but actually the word avoid to like avoid what was behind. Some of it was sort of just my brain and the way it operated. But I am also know that um, it was a reaction to um, trauma and uh, things that were uncomfortable, feelings that were uncomfortable. Um, and so I just lived, even throughout my life prior to drugs, I would find that my immediate response was like, I guess, impulsive goes with that, you know, and it was an avoidance of, of avoidance and sometimes lack of education or lack of understanding. I guess that's a better, was a better word. Like no one, like I was, I would read a lot, but I couldn't quite get it, mm. uh, understand what I was all about. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm, I'm grateful to still be alive, but at the same time, um, I, I think having the opportunity to learn about myself and about how my brain worked and all that. So it, now I see how it was really um, an avoidance of, un, of pain, I guess, mm -hmm. emotional pain, all that. So how you really are a student when you go into yeah. a recovery, a treatment facility, and you're just really learning how to, you know, pick up habits that yeah. are more beneficial to yep. you. You know, and it's funny you said student because I think um, there's a song that talks about, and I think it's Alanis Morissette, and it's about how you you have these. Um, you're like for me, I don't know if I'm saying this right to her lyrics, but my intellect was my shield. I was a school teacher, and so and I had a lot of schooling. So in some ways, that almost got in the way because I felt like I could intellectually understand addiction for a long time. And actually, and it was almost a, a way of avoiding my own pain by explaining it to others, mm -hmm. like throughout my journey and recovery before I went to Pride. And after I got out of treatment in 2012, like I spent years kind of like understanding it in my head and doing a lot of reading about it. But that was my, um, my shield of not having to deal with really myself was what I was escaping from. And until, and I think that's why I had such a bad relapse prior to Pride because I wasn't integrating it. I could talk the talk, but, and that came with being, being older, I think, and also just being, having been a teacher and it looked good to mm -hmm. a lot of people and it probably helped a lot of people. But I think, I shouldn't even say, I think I know for, for a fact that my inability to integrate it and feel the feelings that I needed to feel and heal from was um, what I was avoiding. I'm, I'm sure without a doubt that that was why I picked up the needle again mm. um, in 2020. And then of course the trajectory of drug use goes quickly for a lot of people, myself included. So um, then that's what got me into pride. So that's so interesting that you use the word student. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, and it's, I think what you just said is so common amongst so many people. A lot of, you know, people who have sat here and told their story talk about ego and how mm. they show up and they're like, yeah, I might use heroin, but I'm not like the rest of the people here. Or I might use crystal meth and I'm, yeah. you know, not as bad. So I think that's very common. Yeah. The understanding of ego has helped has transform me spiritually too, because I think, um, I don't know if you guys might both be familiar with Eckhart Tolle, mm -hmm. some of his writing and other people like that. The Power of Now. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. That's a that's a life-changing book. And um, 
I brought my NA book because I know I don't even know if I'll even reference it, but mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to make sure that I talked today about the spiritual part of this disease because um, ego, from what I understand, ego it likes to it it craves definition, it craves like meaning. So like anything, like I could sit here today and and just like define myself as I am a drug addict, which is true. And I am in recovery, which is true. And I could go, I could have all these definitions for myself. But one thing I read recently, very recently, is that it makes more sense to just land in a place of just saying I am, period. And don't have, because ego wants it, ego desperately wants to have um, meaning or, and then it keeps us from just being. And I know in my recovery, when I have fine time in my day, or even not every day is not always possible, or I shouldn't say that I don't choose it every day like, like I want to, to just sit and say I am. Mm-hmm. But it's so behind my addiction was this, I think, desperate, some days desperate desire to be something and define myself as something. And when I lost, I think what was really difficult for me is with I ended up with some legal problems back in the day and um, I could, can't be a teacher anymore because once you're you for to get a teaching have a teaching license you can't have any any kind of criminal background which is not a bad thing but it, it it really I lost who I was in the course of my addiction years ago and it um, I, I notice now that I'm at my best spiritually and, and that's what I want to be is when I just am of service to others in a way of just saying I am. And that gets me, that may, that helps maintain my sobriety, my recovery being clean. Oh. So you talk a little bit about NA. Um, what other tools did you use post-treatment to maintain your sobriety? Yeah, so um, gosh, I would say I have a wonderful, so I go to a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I thought about when I was coming in today, I didn't want to, be like a spokesperson for NA because I don't think I know quite a few people in recovery, especially that I know from Pride, who may not go to NA meetings. And my encouragement would be, even if you don't go to an NA meeting, you have to build community of some kind. Mm-hmm. And even if you go to NA meetings, you don't want to share or buy into the, or I don't like that phrase, buy into or use the twelve-step program. Um, I think even being able to go and listen to other people and and realize that you're not alone, I think can really help. But for me, to answer your question, for me, like I, I'm a big meeting goer, I guess that's the phrase I was looking for. And yeah. um, I work the steps, um, I have a sponsor. Um, one other thing that I would say, which just goes to the fact that I relapsed because I didn't do the work on myself that I really, like I said earlier, like I would be, it'd all be in my head. I'd read books back, you know, and I understand recovery. I really wasn't doing it. I wasn't living it. So the, one of the other tools that I've used is I have a, a therapist. He's actually a, a gay uh, Sioux Indian. And he, I go, go to him and uh, uh, he is amazing. Um, and I meet once a week with him. So I consider him like a spiritual guide, but he's also a licensed psychologist. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing I've done since Pride is um, I got into that. And then um, I did outpatient. Um, at the time I was in outpatient, I didn't 
do well, like for me, with uh, uh, over Zoom. So I ended up going to an outpatient program called Kodiak, which was meeting in person. So I used outpatient. I mm-hmm. would, I, at Pride, outpatient is wonderful. Let's find an outpatient program. That was another tool that really um, helped me stay clean. So those are the probably the main things. I do um, a lot of reading as well. And now I try to get away from just reading about it and then, then challenge myself to practice what I read mm-hmm. and just, you know, be a student again. Mm-hmm. So, right. Walk yeah. in the walk. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Ronnie, it looks really good on you. Uh, we're so mm-hmm. happy that you were able to join us today. Thanks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time.